So, like I said, we, we are finishing the book. It is very uneven, Pat. You're absolutely right. I feel like I have to sit here. So, a couple weeks ago, like I said, we, we kind of, I, I opened with a story and, and this picture. My poor family knows this so very well. Where, and you may or may not remember, and that's okay if you don't. That was hopefully not the most memorable part of the sermon a couple weeks ago. A couple weeks ago, I talked about this thing where I get a box of something I order, furniture, something that says some assembly required, and it just fills my entire body with anxiety because I always have this tendency to mess something up. And, and, and I talked about that. But what I didn't talk about, I don't believe, was this, this whole thing of finishing the job. Right? Once you finish a job, you can kind of stand back and you admire your work. Right? You admire your work. There's a sense of pride. There's a sense of accomplishment. And it generally just feels good to finish something you've started. And I'm sure many of the men in here and even some of the ladies in here, I'm sure we all can uh, relate to that when we have a honey-do list and we finally finish one of those many projects that are on those lists. feels good. And then you have to look at the rest of the list, and there are several other things to do, but that's beside the point. It feels good to get it done and finished and to be able to move forward. And that's what we're going to see a little bit today. Um, and I think this accomplishment and this feeling we get sometimes also applies with just service in general. Right? When we get to serve others, just in maybe the context of a, of a church service, perhaps, or even in just the context of overall life, it feels good to, to be there for others, to help others, to serve others, and to meet their needs. And I think we get that feeling of accomplishment even during those times. So what we're going to see from the people of Israel today as we close out our, our study in Exodus is we're going to see just that. We're going to see how the people of Israel finish this project. And it was a big, big project. It wasn't something, you know, insignificant like a, like a Lego lion or something. It was a big, very significant project. And, and we're going to see that. And what we're going to do is we're going to tie that to this idea of worship. We're going to tie that because this is really the purpose of this whole tabernacle is, is, is to help these individuals to be in a place to faithfully worship God. And God's giving them that process. And we're going to see that, and hopefully we're going to see how we can also be faithful worshipers through the example we're going to see in our passage this morning. So again, we're going to finish the book of Exodus. I've really enjoyed this study. It's been challenging. I've talked to Pat almost every week, and I'm like, man, why did we choose to do six, seven, eight chapters at a time? It's a lot to do and a lot to handle, but when you really dig deep into it and you get to study each individual chapter and you get to look at it from the whole counsel of the scriptures of God, it's really neat to see how everything kind of plays together. It's been a great study. I hope you've enjoyed it as well. Um, one of the things that we do each week in our bulletins, and this is a pop quiz to see if you guys actually read the bulletins or not, but you might notice that at the bottom of the bulletin, we put next week's passage in there. Have you guys noticed that? The intention of that is to allow you to have the opportunity to read the passage ahead of time so that way you're prepared for worship. We've talked about that a few times during this sermon series. That's one of the really neat things you can do to prepare yourself for this Sunday morning gathering. So if you have done that for this sermon, for example, and for this week, you may have seen it and realized, didn't I read this already? I feel like I've read this before, right? And that's probably because two weeks ago, we essentially read this passage already. And what you'll see, in, in, particularly in the books of, of Moses, you'll see that a lot. There's, a, there's a, a repetition involved. Repetition generally means that it's probably very important for us to remember. But in this particular case, the repetition is because 
back in chapters 25 through 31, there were instructions. And this is what I need you all to do. Gather all your things, and we're going to do this. And then in chapter 32, 33, and 34, we see that something went wrong, and then we gather back together. So a lot of the content we looked at two weeks ago is very similar, almost verbatim in some cases, to what we're going to look at today, which makes it really hard for a pastor to look at this and teach this passage because you're like, what, how do I separate these two passages together? The main difference, like I said, though, in these two sections is the preparation and then the construction, right? So think about what that means for us in our life. That means that when, when we prepare for something, and God says, this is what you need to do with what you prepared for. The obedience that it takes to complete that project is what really shows our faithfulness to God and his faithfulness to us. And what's really interesting, too, is if you look at the section from last week, that was directly following the events from chapter 31. So chapter 31, God, uh, Moses goes up to the mountain to be with the Lord for 40 days, and during that time, that's when they got really, really discouraged because Moses didn't come back down. And then that's when they built and made the, uh, the golden calf. So it, it was this time of rebellion almost immediately after a time of great faithfulness that we saw just two weeks ago. And what I think that's a great picture for us today is when we see that happening and we read this section, we can easily go back and say, what is wrong with these people? It's very easy to say that. One of my favorite quotes from the late R.C. Sproul is, what's wrong with you people? What's wrong with, right? We can easily do that. But then what do we see here in this passage is they come right back to the Lord. They about face, they come right back to the Lord, and they do what they were instructed to do. And we're going to see that point a little bit later today. And, and so we get to these section in chapters 25 all the way through 34. We transition back to this portion here. And this is where we see the faithfulness of the people of Israel come into play. And that's a good lesson for us today. One of the things I wanted to quickly point out, kind of a little bit of a sidebar, but you'll see where it ties in here in a moment, is one of the things that we need to do when we study the entire Bible and that's what we're committed to here at Thornydale Family Church is, is teaching the entire Bible. One of the things that we need to do is we need to ask questions along the way. And what I mean by that is we need to ask questions about what are these scriptures saying and how do we apply them. So one of the questions that we should be asking is what does this text say about God and his character? So when we're reading the scriptures, that's one of the questions that we should be asking. Another question we should be asking is what does this text teach us about the fallen nature of man? And then another question, there's two more. How does this text point us to Jesus? How does this text point us to Christ? And then finally, what does, this, what does God want us to know and do from this passage? And I mention that because when we get to passages like this, particularly because we know that the sacrificial system doesn't exist anymore, when we get to passages like this, it's easy to ignore them. And it's easy to say, how does this apply to me, and how does this point to Jesus? And that's one of the things I'm hoping that we can figure out together this morning. Good news is, one of the key principles in Bible teaching and Bible study is understanding the very basic principle that Scripture interprets Scripture. So we can look to the Scriptures and understand what does the Scripture say about the Scriptures. And gratefully, the author of Hebrews, and by the way, if I ever say Paul when I'm referencing the writer of Hebrews, forgive me for that. 
We don't know who the author is, but I keep thinking in my brain it's Paul, and I sometimes mention that. But the author of Hebrews says this in verse uh, 5 of chapter 8, says that they serve as a copy, and this is the author here, unknown author, is talking about this idea of the sacrificial system and the tabernacle and the process of worship. He says that they serve as a copy and a shadow of the heavenly things. For when Moses was about to erect the tent, he was instructed by God saying, see that you make everything according to the pattern that was shown to you on the mountain. And that's a direct quote from the passage we read just two weeks ago. I think that was in chapter 25. And then in Hebrews chapter 9, verses 11 and 12, he continues his theme, and he says this. He says, but when Christ appeared as the high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation, he, Jesus, entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by the means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. So that alone tells us immediately, the author of Hebrews helps us to see immediately how this applies directly to Jesus, how this applies directly to Christ. It was a shadow, a copy of the heavenly things. So many believe what that phrase means is that the tabernacle, the model of the tabernacle that we see in the scriptures is a copy of what the new heavens and new earth will look like and what the, what the throne room looks like now. So you see, everything that we've read in this entire book, all 40 chapters of this book so far, all of it points us directly to Jesus. And that's what makes it really sad for our Jewish brothers and sisters is they haven't seen that. There's so many who just have not seen how this relates directly to Jesus. And they haven't been revealed, and they haven't seen that understanding just yet. So we see that everything we've, we've read in this book, it points us to Jesus. And I really want you to understand that this morning. And we see that not only from the book of Hebrews and those two examples, but we also see that through all of the early church letters. And we see that the, that the sacrifices, they're just not enough. And they were never going to be enough. And that's why they had to enter into the holy place once a year. And they had to sacrifice for the atonement of all every single year. And that's because when Jesus came in and he tore the veil and he had that final sacrifice, he was that Passover lamb, he was the final sacrifice. And that's why we can celebrate today in the way that we do. It was just never good enough. And one of the reasons for that, just from a picture and an illustration standpoint, is because it's us who's doing the work every year. We have to carry our sins there. We have to do all this work. When Jesus did it, he says, I finished it for you. I've done it for you. You don't have to do that anymore because I have taken all of it already. So I want to open and start our time in our main passage by, by reading a fairly long section from Exodus 35. We're going to start at verse 4. So Moses said to all the congregation of the people of Israel, This is the thing that the Lord has commanded. Take from among you a contribution to the Lord. Whoever is of a generous heart, let him bring to the Lord's contribution. And he lists all the things he wants to bring. Gold and silver and bronze, blue and purple and scarlet yarns, and fine twined linen. Goat's hair, tanned ram skins, and, the, uh, and goat skins, acacia wood, oil for the, the fragrant incense, and onyx stones for the stones for setting, and for the ephod and for the breastplate, breastpiece. Let every skillful, skillful craftsman among you come and make all that the Lord has commanded. 
the tabernacle, its tent and its covering, its hooks, its frames, its bars, its pillars, and its bases. And the ark with its poles, the mercy seat, and the veil of the screen, the table with its poles and all of its utensils, and the bread of the presence. But wait, there's more. The lampstand also for the light with its utensils and its lamps and for the oil for the light and the altar of incense with its poles and the anointing oil and the fragrance incense and the screen for the door at the door of the tabernacle and the altar for the burnt offering with, with its grating of bronze, its poles and all its utensils, the basin and its stands, the hanging of the courts, its pillars, its bases, and the screen for the gate of the court, the pegs of the tabernacle and the pegs of the court and their courts, and the finely worked garments for the ministering in the holy place, the holy garments for Aaron the priest and for the garments of his sons for their service as priests." I know, a lot of different things. But think about, again, we talked about this a couple weeks ago, the detail, the specificness of what God wanted. He was very specific. He even mentioned the pegs. Every detail was important to the Lord. And what this passage does, and the reason I wanted to read it for you this morning, is it basically reviews, and it's a good summary of everything we're going to talk about this morning. And the response, and it, and it illustrates the response of the people to the command of the Lord. And we saw that there twice at, at minimum, at the command of the Lord, and this is what they did. They brought these things forward. And with that, we can identify our main idea of this passage this morning. And here's what I have identified as our passage and our main idea, is that faithful worship is carried out by faithful people. Faithful worship is carried out by faithful people. So like we talked about already, this, this idea of faithful work and faithfulness and faithful worship, this is again coming right off of this events that we read about last week. These events that we read about last week where they, they are faithful in, in gathering and then they decide to worship a, a cow made of gold and then they, they, they come right back and they see this faithfulness. And once again, if nothing else, we can use and see these, these passages from 25 and now to 40. We can look at this, this sandwich of the, the faithfulness of the tabernacle building. We can look at this and say, you know what? God is so good. God is so graceful. God is so merciful. And how we can do something as, as horrible as idol worship. And God's going to say, I am still going to ask you to complete the task that I have given you. If nothing else, we should be like, whoa. Because he could have easily done something different. He could have easily thrown them all into the fire. But God's like, I want to steal because I have asked you to do this. This is the agreement you and I had, and this is what I'm going to ask you to do. And that should be something that's so encouraging to you and I because I don't know about you, but I fall a lot. And I fall a lot, and I know that, that once I come back to the Lord and I come to him and I confess and, and I, I repent, he is faithful to allow me to continue to do his work. And what an amazing God that we have. And if nothing else, again, God's mercy, God's grace abounds in this story as we see this. And it's not because of anything that I do. It's not because of anything that I can do. It's because of the, the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ and what he did for us. That is how we are forgiven. And again, that's God's grace at work. So here's what I want to talk about first is how to be a faithful worshiper. How to be a faithful worshiper. 
Uh, at minimum, there's at least three things we can pull from this passage. There's three things at minimum. The first thing is prayer. The first thing is prayer. Well, it was really cool. So the, some of the men gathered yesterday for our men's breakfast, and we just spent the time praying and talking about prayer. And it was a really neat experience for us just to get together and, and just to, to be together and just pray for one another. And, 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 and we used the, the guide of Paul and his letters and how he was so adamant in starting almost every single letter with, I pray for you, and I love you, and I care for you. Y'all need some work, but I still love you. And, 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 and we have to, to see that and live that just as much. So what we don't see a lot of, and it's not very obvious when we look at this passage of this idea of prayer, we have to see how this does indeed point us to Christ. And this idea of prayer here is actually found in the incense that we see in chapter 37, but also in chapter 30 that we saw just a couple weeks ago. And it's this imagery of incense. Um, And chapter 30, verses uh, 7 through 9, gives us a little bit more information what we see in chapter 37, and, and this is what it says, that Aaron shall burn fragrance incense on it, about the altar, every morning when he dresses the lamps, he shall burn it. And when Aaron sets up the lamps at twilight, he shall burn it, a regular incense offering before the Lord throughout your generations. You shall not offer unauthorized incense on it, or a burnt offering, or a grain offering, and you shall not pour a drink offering on it. And, and the, the picture that the scriptures give us about incense is really interesting. I'll give you a couple examples. Psalm 141, verse 2 says this. says, let my prayer, this is the Psalm of David, let my prayer be counted as incense before you, and the lifting up my hands as the evening sacrifice. Much, much later in Revelation chapter 5, we see this picture of incense as, as well. And, and when he had taken the scroll... The four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. So we see this picture of prayer connected directly with this this incense and this burning of incense. What's really neat, too, in Leviticus chapter 16 and Numbers chapter 16, two books I'm sure you read very regularly, we see that the fire for this incense comes from the brazen altar. So the fire that burns, the fire is from the brazen altar. And, what that, and, and we can also look at uh, the example of Zechariah in, in Exodus, or I'm sorry, in Luke chapter 1. So in Luke chapter 1, uh, Elizabeth's husband Zechariah was tasked that time with, with the burning of the incense. And if you read that chapter, uh, and hopefully that's somewhat familiar with some of you who have been here in, in our Christmas series, but you read that chapter and it says that all the people were out in the courtyard and they were praying. So there was a direct connection even during the early, early times of, of prayer and incense being connected. And Wearsby, one of my favorite authors, concludes that, that, that true prayer must be based on the work of Christ. True prayer must be connected to the work of Christ and based on the work of Christ. So we see that true and faithful worship is only possible through the work of Jesus. And and remember that the veil was torn when Jesus was on that cross. The veil that we see in the tabernacle was torn from top to bottom. And when that veil was torn... Once for all, we now we have access, as believers in Jesus, we have access to the Father. 
we're no longer there. We're no longer standing in the courtyard of the tabernacle outside looking in when only the priest has access to, to, to the Lord. And only at that appointed time, we have direct access to him because of the work of Jesus. And, and we're in the presence of him, which is what we talked about a little bit last week. So I'm going to ask you this question. I want you to think about this. Are you living in a, a lifestyle a prayer that leads you to faithful worship? Are you living a lifestyle of prayer? And that's one of the things we talked about with the men yesterday. It's the lifestyle of prayer. How many times do we sit down and we just have this like, okay, it's 8 o'clock, it's time for prayer, right? Well, what happens at 8.17 or at 9 o'clock or at 10 a.m. when you're about to have a difficult conversation with somebody? Those are times where we should be praying too, and we should have this attitude of prayer because that leads us to faithful worship. And that's what we're kind of talking about this morning. Next thing we see here, faithful worships, and we see faithful worshipers, and we see it through the act of service. Service. The very first church I attended when I was about 17 years old, we met in this school auditorium. And, and on Saturdays, my parents and I were real busy getting ready for the service. We had to make the coffee in the percolator. We had to print the bulletins. We had to fold those 15 times, all the inserts. We had to cut those up. We had to get all that stuff gathered. And then on Sunday mornings, we all gather in the car. And I was thinking about it this morning. It's like, man, my dad seemed to, to drive a little bit reckless on Sunday mornings with the percolator next to me. Took the back roads with all the bumps. Took a couple U-turns that were unnecessary. I'm joking. He didn't really do that. But, you know, we, we gather up early, we get to the church or the school, and we have to set up all the chairs, all the worship equipment. We had to set up the back table that had our little bookstore on it. We had to set up the kids' rooms. We had to set up the projector. And, yes, it was one of those projectors that had the plastic sheets. That's how we used to do worship. It was so good. And then we also, of course, had to set up the pulpit and everything else. So we get all that set up, and then everybody starts to arrive, and they're ready for worship, and then they all leave. And guess who's still there? We are, because we got to put everything back. And I was thinking about that as a picture, and, and somebody, I think it was Mark Carey last week, as a matter of fact, he was talking about being a church planner, and that's kind of how that is for a church planner, right? And we see that so often where, like, that's just a small illustration of a picture of what they're doing each time that they set up and break down the tabernacle. Because it was made to be a portable thing. So it was always with them as they were traveling and they were wandering in the desert to get to the promised land. So, you know, it's such a neat little thing that we see there. And that's a simplified version of what they had to do each time. And that completion of the tabernacle when they finally put everything together is seen in chapter 40 of our text. So obviously it's not difficult to see where this idea of service comes out from this passage, I hope. But here are a couple uh, examples and, and one of the things we see, and I'm going to emphasize a few words to illustrate how this was completed and how this was done. So we're going to head back to uh, chapter 35. We're going to start at verse 20. All the congregation of the people of Israel departed from the presence of Moses, and they came, and everyone whose heart was stirred him, and everyone whose spirit moved him, and brought the Lord's contribution to be used for the tent of meeting, for all its service, and for the holy garments. So they came, both men and women, all who were willing heart, brought 
uh, brooches and earrings and signet rings and armlets and all sorts of gold objects, every man dedicating the offering of the gold of the Lord and everyone who possessed blue or purple or scarlet yarns or fine linen or goat's hair or tanned ram skins or goat hairs, goat skins brought them. Everyone who could make a contribution of silver or bronze brought it out to the Lord's contribution. And everyone who possessed a kea wood of any use in the work brought it. And every skillful woman spun with her hands and they brought what they had spun in blue and scarlet yarns and fine twinned linen. And all the women whose hearts stirred them used their skill and spun the goat's hair. And all the leaders brought out onyx stones and stones to be set for all the ephod and for the breast piece, and spices and oil for the light and for the anointed oil and for the fragrance incense. And all the men and women, the people of Israel, whose heart moved them to bring anything for the work of the Lord had commanded by Moses to be done, brought it as a freewill offering to the Lord. The ESV, which is the translation I just read from and that we use here regularly at the church, this idea of everyone and all and they and the men and women and the thems, at least 13 times in that passage. What a neat thing we see again as God is using his people to do the work that he has tasked them to do. It's him and it's, it's his people working in concert, working together to make this work. It's a community project. It's a community event. That's what church is. That's what we do is we serve together for the work of the Lord and for his purposes. And that's just chapter 35. When we get into chapters 36 through 39, we see our two friends, Bezalel and Oholiab, and they're doing all this work, and they're leading the people and all the craftsmen and making all of these things. And they were a very talented group, very talented group. And I love chapter 36, verse 5. We see that their contributions were so much, and they brought so much that Moses is like, y'all stop. I don't have any storage left anymore. I don't have any more room. You've done so much. You have done too much. I don't know about you, but I can't remember a time where someone said, stop. Stop serving. Stop bringing. Stop contributing. It's just not something that happens very often. And maybe that's a challenge to you and I, isn't it? Maybe we can be challenged by that. Like, hey, you know what? Are you in that place where you're contributing so much that somebody's saying, yo, back off. It's, it's okay. We're good. I don't need your help anymore. Are we contributing? Are we giving? Are we, or is our generosity so abundant that it's just bursting at the seams? I'm looking around. There's a few of you who I can probably say that might be accurate. Some of you are very generous, and we are really grateful for that. So next, faithful worship is done through obedience. And I think this theme carries through this entire passage very, very clearly. We have to be obedient. So next week, we, uh, we return to the book of Hebrews. And, and we're just so happened, coincidentally, we're getting into this section, the greatest faith chapter of the Bible, Hebrews chapter 11. And I read something this week on this idea of faith, and he, he described it simply as this. It's uh, knowledge, agreement, and trust. So here's an example. Maybe you're driving on a road with a giant steering wheel. Maybe you're driving on a road, and somebody stops you and says, look, the bridge is out ahead. You're like, okay. You understood what he said. 
You, un- you, you, you comprehended what he said and you believed what he said. But I'm just going to continue driving. I just continue driving. Is that an act of faith? Genuine, real faith if I don't turn around and find an alternate route. And that's kind of what faith is about. That's kind of what obedience is about. This idea of obedience of I hear you, I understand you, and I'm going to do it. Versus I hear you, I understand you, but I'm going to continue doing what I'm doing. So faith and obedience, they go hand in hand. Faith and obedience go hand in hand, and faith and obedience, obedience is a result of our faith. So when God says, do, you do. When God says, stop, we stop. And we know where that information is, and we understand where that is when we explore the scriptures. He tells us exactly what we are to do. And that's, again, that's the whole idea. And, and, and for example, one commentator noted that the word command is used in, in chapters 39 and 40 about 18 times. About 18 times the, the command of, of, of do, this command and the word of commanded is, is used so many times in those two chapters to illustrate the faithfulness of the people of Israel. Because we read, and we'll read it here in just a second, we read that, that, that they do this. And what happens when we do what the Lord has asked us to do? Who is glorified in that moment? He is. He is glorified and he is honored in those moments when we do as his people what he is expecting us and asking us to do. We see that in chapter 39 where Moses, as God's representative, has the task of of looking at all of the work that the people had just done. They brought him everything and he's reviewing it. And we read these words starting in verse 42. That according to all that the Lord had commanded Moses, so the people of Israel had done all of the work. And Moses saw all of the work, and behold, they had done it. And the Lord had com- as the Lord had commanded, so they had done it. And then Moses blessed them. Moses had this incredible task of, of, of reviewing the work. And he was pleased by it, which means that the Lord was pleased by it. And we see that in chapter 40, verse 16, that after he, he had essentially had the people put the, the tabernacle together, we see that they see these words that Moses did according to all that the Lord had commanded, he had done, did. So this is like an immediate understanding here that he had done everything that he had been commanded. The people had done everything that he had commanded. So faith is a result, or obedience is a result of faith. So what happened here in this story? What can we see here? What was that result of that faith? And we see that in the final, final verses of this book. Starting at verse 34, chapter 40. And then the cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud settled on it, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And the Throughout all their journeys, whenever the cloud was taken up from over Israel, the people of Israel will set out. But if the cloud was not taken up, then they did not set out until the day that it was taken up. For the cloud of the Lord was on the tabernacle by day, and fire was in it by night, in all the sight of Israel throughout all of their journeys. The presence and the glory of the Lord was there. And that was the same presence and glory we talked about just last week that Pastor Pat spoke about. 
that's what the result of their, their faith was. It was that the presence of the Lord and the glory of the Lord was there. It was among his people. So you see that when we are faithfully worshiping the Lord, we enter into his presence. When we faithfully worshiping, we're filled with his presence. So again, that's why I said earlier this morning that when we, when faithful worship, and that faithful worship is carried out by faithful people. That's why we said that, that faithful worship is carried out by faithful people. And it's possible you might be sitting here now and you might be watching online and you're like, well, I'm not very faithful. I'm not a faithful worshiper by definition of what you just talked about. And, that's, and, and, and that might be you just in this moment. So what do I do? What do I do about that, you might be asking. What do I do? So there's a couple things I think we can do. Number one, first and foremost, we have to rely only on the work of Jesus. What happens when we run into trouble? Our tendency when we run into trouble, when we're struggling, when we're doing something, is to try to fix it. Try to fix it ourselves. That's just our tendency. But what we need to understand, myself included, is that we need to rely on him. We need to rely on the work of Jesus. When we get into chapter 38, we won't read the text, but there's, a, there's an inventory of sorts in, cha- in verses 30, uh, 21 through 31. There's like an inventory of all the things that were com- uh, used. And if you do the math, which I did not do, I had somebody else do the math for me. If you do the math, it was about two tons or about a ton of gold that was used for this project. Over 2,000 pounds, it was a, about a ton of gold used. And somebody last week uh, in our, in our mor- Monday morning Bible study had mentioned this and, and connected it to this idea of, of our debt, right? Our collection of debt. So when we have this collection of debt, if you think about it, I am sure we can go back and it probably weighs so much more, figuratively speaking, than this ton of gold. And then he had the same individual, I think it was Mark Carey, as a matter of fact, he, he, he made this connection in Matthew chapter 18. In Matthew chapter 18, we see this, this, um, this connection of, of Peter and, and Jesus. They're having a discussion, and, Peter's, and here, here's what he says. Peter's like, came to the Lord and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? And Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. Isn't it true that we like to put a limit on how graceful we're going to be and how forgiving we're going to be to others? Just, just seven, right, Jesus? I mean, that's a good number. Seven times is a lot. Jesus is like, no, 77 times. He wasn't saying only 77. He was just saying, no, that's not enough. And think about that with us. Think about your sin. Think about your past and before you were saved by grace. Think about that. Jesus, when he died on the cross, he didn't just forgive you seven times. Jesus didn't forgive you seven times. He didn't put a limit on his grace. He didn't put a limit on how much he forgives you. It was unlimited. It was this unlimited forgiveness that we have. And we mentioned that this tent was made with hands. Earlier, this tent was made with hands, that passage from Hebrews. And, and what happens there is that's the reason why there's limitations. 
And that's why we have limitations, because we can only do so much with our hands, our sinful, dirty hands. We can only do so much with those hands, and eventually the more we try to control what happens and to control the outcome, we're going to run out of material. We're going to run out completely. But God provides limitlessness. And this limitlessness with the Lord, he gives that. He will forgive. It's his grace. His grace abounds. And if you remember, we read a psalm last week that said these words, that the steadfast love of the Lord endures forever. His love endures forever. It's limitlessness. There's nothing we can do. Second thing we can understand here after we give and rely on the Lord fully is we need to rest in the Lord. This, this concept, if you think about it, has come up a lot in this passage and in this entire scripture and this uh, sermon series. Notice how this section began. It was another reminder of the Sabbath, wasn't it? Verses 2 and 3 of 35 says, Six days work shall be done, but on the seventh day you shall have a Sabbath of solemn rest. Holy to the Lord, and whoever does any work on it shall be put to death. You shall kindle no fire in your dwelling places on the Sabbath day. He says you need to rest. And we've talked about this before, but the general idea and the intention here is to stop and reflect on the work of the Lord. We need to stop and reflect on the work of the Lord. I spoke to somebody recently, and many times, just many times we struggle, right? We struggle with sin, we struggle with doubt, we struggle with worry. Sometimes we just have a difficult time, and that's why we need to enter into that rest. Because when we enter into that rest, we can find that peace that the, uh, the Lord God offers to us. And that's when you have entered into the presence of the Lord, when you're allowing him to take control and you're just letting everything else go around you. I talked to somebody recently about this, um, this discipline of fasting. And it's, it's, I think it's probably a lost discipline, but this general idea of fasting is, is neglecting the things of the flesh. Right, And I'm not saying you know, necessarily sin flesh, but just the things that we need, nourishment, food, et cetera, et cetera. Right? It's neglecting the things of the flesh. So when we get to those moments of vulnerability, right, when those hunger pains start coming in, instead of going to the pantry and heating up something, or instead of you know, feeding that vulnerable aspect, what are we, sh- we should be doing instead is we should be going to the Lord in prayer. Because when we have those moments of vulnerability, what that does is it teaches us and it helps us to be dependent on him in those moments of vulnerability. And it trains you to think that way instead of digging in and fulfilling those desires that you have. And that's the whole idea that you go to the Father in prayer, you go to the Father in confession, and you allow him to satisfy that need that's missing in your moment of vulnerability. So maybe you are struggling. Maybe you don't feel the presence of the Lord at times, and that's when you need to go to him. You need to go to him in prayer. You need to confess. You need to repent. If that's your issue, if something's separating you from God, you need to confess and repent from that sin. And that's going to lead you to being obedient to the Father. And that's what we're talking about here. We titled this sermon series, Be Delivered. And the, the physical aspect of this is very evident, particularly in the first part of the book. We saw the Lord at work delivering his people out of the bondage of slavery. Literally. Saving them and saving them from death and from famine and from his wrath. 
That's what we see from the physical aspect of it. And we saw that he instituted the law so that his people can be a people set apart for him. And we saw that he set up a a process of of worship and a process on how they can worship him as a people set apart. And what's really, really neat is as, as we look at that and we look at what we have today, we still have that today. It's just done in a different way. He can still rescue you from the bondage of sin. He can still heal you miraculously. He can still do miracles in you and through you. He can still do these things that he did for his people. And and it's not because of me or you. It's because of what Jesus did for us on the cross. It is only through Jesus that we have victory and that we can call ourselves victorious. So maybe this morning you're feeling distant. Maybe you're not actually enjoying what we would consider to be worship. I'm sure each and every one of us have had that moment at some point where we're just not feeling it. That's natural. That's going to happen. Maybe you're unhappy in relationships. Maybe, maybe these things are just eating at you. Maybe there's something that's just poking at you. Here's what I would recommend you do. Just like we talked about you, you return to prayer. You serve the Lord. You be obedient to his leading. And then, and then that may, and may that lead you to full reliance on him. May that lead you to full rest in him. That's what we see in this passage. We need to have that reliance on the Lord that's going to help us to be obedient to him and honor him in all that we do. And we'll find that rest and we can be faithful worshipers. And I ask you, do you want to be a faithful worshiper of God? I know I do. And I know I need to do these things just as much and we need to be faithful worshipers through these actions. So let's pray about that and let's ask God to help us as we move forward. Father in heaven, Lord, I don't know who needs to take any of these actions this morning. I don't know, Father, if there's somebody here that's struggling with something that's removing you from their presence in a way. That, that they have their minds so full, their hearts so full, that you're no longer present in their lives, and, and at least in the way that they see it. But you're there, Father. We know that you're there, and we just have to kind of make room, as one of the, the songs that we sing so frequently here, we have to make room for you in our lives, Father. We have to be fully reliant on who you are and understand and trust you. Help us to trust you. Help us to not rely on ourselves. Help us not to rely on our own power. One of the prayers that we prayed yesterday was for your strength to be abounded and abound in us. So let let your strength and your power and your might be present in each and every one of us that are here this morning and who may be watching online. Help us, Father, to rely on you. Help us, Father, to be prayerful individuals and faithful worshipers because your son Jesus made that possible. So if there's anybody here, Father, that needs to to repent from their sin and if they need to, to approach your throne, please, Lord, move their heart to do so now. Please, Lord, I ask you to, to move them into your presence, allow your presence to be so evident in their lives that they have no choice but to just lift their arms in worship. 
And I ask that in Jesus' name. So we talk about this every week, and I, I think sometimes we just have these great opportunities to, to act immediately by, by reaching out and by connecting with 